We have been in this worship series all summer long on the Acts of the Apostles, and we're getting closer and closer to the end now. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 22, and you can follow along in your pew Bibles. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. That's a memory thing. You don't have pew Bibles in front of you. Sorry. You have your Bibles in your homes. You have Bible Gateway. You have a variety of different ways that you can open up a Bible. So do that, or you can follow along on your screen, whatever that might be, a mobile device, a computer, a TV. I'm sure there's a variety of different things. So follow along. Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Listen to God's word. Brothers and fathers, listen to the defense that I, Paul, now make before you. When they heard him addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. And then he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? And then he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I asked, what am I to do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go to Damascus. There you will be told everything that has been assigned to you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man according to the law, and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me, and standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear his own voice, for you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. Get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name. Jerusalem, and while I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw Jesus saying to me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And while the blood of your witness Stephen was shed, I myself was standing by approving and keeping the coats of those who killed him. Then he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away 
to the Gentiles. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in the past few months, now that I have two children, I've had to shift a bit of the ways in which I consume multimedia. I don't watch as much TV or movies anymore, but I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts and listening to audio multimedia, and I love this. I'm a, this is my wheelhouse. I love this. When I was in college, I could sit in a lecture hall for three hours and just soak it up. I loved listening to stories and listening to lectures, and so it's actually been a really joyous way of learning for me in these past few months. And one of the podcasts that I've been listening to, which is more dessert than it is kind of the main course or a main meal, I'm not sure I'm learning too much, but I enjoy it. It's good storytelling. And in this podcast I was listening to, they were telling about this moment in 2013 when Brian Williams, the famous NBC News anchor, went on the Dave Letterman show. And as everybody does when they go on these late night talk shows, they're having a conversation with one another. They're talking about a variety of different things. And then Dave asks him about an event that took place 10 years prior on that very same day in 2003. And Brian starts to tell a story about that. Now, for those of you who don't remember, in 2003, the United States went to war with Iraq. And Brian Williams went as a war correspondent to Iraq. And as a part of his correspondence working for NBC News, he was part of a team that went out on four Chinook helicopters to lay down bridge across a river so the infantry could cross over it. And Brian had shared this story a variety of times in the past, but on this night when he was on the late night show with Dave Letterman, he said to them that he was in one of the two Chinook helicopters that got fired upon by militants, by RPGs, and they had to emergency land those aircrafts so that they didn't crash. Later on that night and the next day, there were some other people that were on those helicopters. And they, when they heard about this story, said, wait a second, Brian Williams wasn't on that helicopter. He wasn't on that helicopter. He was on the other helicopter that was miles and miles behind the other two that got shot at. He was there, but he was not on that helicopter. And this whole big thing sort of ensued after this. Everybody was like, Brian Williams is lying. He's falsifying the past and his own story to make himself look better. And then a few months after that, NBC News had Matt Lauer, of all people, being the moral high horse to asking Brian Williams if he, in fact, was a liar himself and falsifying his past to make himself look better. It was this bizarre thing that took place in 2013. And what the podcast was trying to explore was, was he really lying? Like, is our memory and what it means to have a memory, is it a picture-perfect historical record of something that takes place in the past? Or is our memory and the ways in which we might remember events that took place in the past work a little bit differently than that? Is it a perfect historically accurate record or does it work a little bit differently? And one of the things that they suggest is that humans and the way we call upon our memories can actually bring together different memories into the same thing. And this podcast was trying to argue that Brian Williams himself wasn't intentionally lying in that moment, but simply that he was telling the truth as he remembered it using his own memory. 
It was an interesting argument, and I think it serves as a kind of interesting springboard as we think about Paul's conversion experience. I think it serves as an interesting springboard into this story because this past week when I was looking at a variety of different commentaries about Paul's conversion story, it shows up three times in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 24. And for many different scholars and academics as they try to look at these different stories, there's variations amongst all three of them. There's differences. Some are very subtle and slight, like the order in which one thing happens and the other thing happens are slightly out of place. In some senses, there's brand new information that appears that was not there previously. And so how do you have an account of these variations in the midst of the Apostle Paul's story as it's told in the Acts of the Apostles? And I was reading these commentaries all week long, and as I was reading them, I was thinking, oh my gosh, these scholars are making the Apostle Paul out to be like Brian Williams and calling him almost a liar. And not just him, but the Acts of the Apostles, the author, that they were falsifying historical records to try to I don't know, do some kind of Christian propaganda. And it was just this fascinating look at some of these things. And I thought this is something they're trying to do is, is the Apostle Paul lying by having differences in these accounts in his conversion experience? Is he lying? What I would suggest is that no, no, I don't think Paul is lying. And I don't think Luke is sort of falsifying historical record to do some kind of Christian propaganda. It's that this is what Paul knows. Paul knows that God uses life experience to help us share about Jesus. And somehow these academics missed exactly what Paul knows. It's like when you read some of these commentaries, and you may never read a biblical commentary, and that's fine, but sometimes they're so devoted to these like minuscule details that they miss the thing that's right in front of them, which is that Paul knows that God uses life experiences to help us share about Jesus. So the variations and why I think they're different is that in Acts chapter 9, Paul's story is simply a part of the narrative, and we are the audience. So Luke highlights certain things because he's trying to create a common ground with his audience to tell them about Jesus. Now in Acts chapter 22, the apostle Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem for bringing a Gentile into the temple, He's beaten, he's flogged, and just at this moment, a Roman grabs Paul and stops the sort of melee that's taking place, and then Paul begins to share this story with them and tells them of this story. And you can feel in this story that Paul is reaching for common ground with people in Jerusalem, right? Do you remember that? He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, I didn't say that right, Cilicia, And not just that, but I grew up here in Jerusalem, and I was taught under Gamaliel, a teacher you know well. I was a Pharisee. He creates this common ground with his audience. And as he creates common grounds, he creates a sort of credibility, right? Because as these people in Jerusalem hear him talk about these things, they all go, oh yeah, we know that to be true about you, Paul. These things are all true about you. So as he creates credibility with his own life experiences, then when he shifts to speaking about Jesus, perhaps some of them there might think he credible for that as well. Though what he has to say about Jesus is rather scandalous to that audience. 
The very conclusion of Paul's conversion experience here is him standing inside of the temple, praying, praying so hard he falls into a trance, and he hears Jesus speaking to him, kind of like some of the older prophets that heard God's voice inside of the temple, giving them a mission. So we hear that again for the Apostle Paul, this mission to go to the Gentiles. And he's trying to say to them, all those things that were true about our shared common experience, this thing is true too. And maybe by the common ground that I create with you, I can show that to be credible, that this mission that I've been given is credible too, to go to the Gentiles. This past week, I got to catch up with David Sharon, the pastor of Street Life Ministries, and it was so fun to be able to talk to him. We haven't talked in a long time, and as I was talking to him, I thought he is the perfect example of what I think is happening here with Paul's story and how Paul is creating a common ground, creating credibility with folks, and then that gives the moments and the possibilities for God to use his life experiences to share about Jesus. I was thinking about that because for those of you who don't know who David, David, he himself was an addict of serious hardcore drugs. He was homeless. He went to prison. But then he had a, almost a trance-like experience in meeting Jesus, and it changed everything in his life. He got clean. He got sober. Um, his life has been radically transformed as a result of Jesus in his life. And while we were talking about what ministry is like right now for us, I was explaining what ministry is like for me, and he was telling me about him. And I thought, David is so well-equipped to do this ministry because of the experiences that he's had in his life. And those experiences that he had didn't mean that he ran away from those communities, but God called him right back into those spaces to be able to do ministry with people on the streets. He was telling me, just as one example, you can hear more about it on Facebook if you want to watch it, but he was just saying, you know, we have in our mind that we can be six feet apart and that the only people we can be closer to are our family members. But he was saying, if you don't know people about living on the street, they live together in these little camp communities. Like, they form for themselves their own families, even if they're not related by blood, but they support each other and they rely on each other, just like a real, you know, biological family might. They are family to themselves. So it's so much difficult for us just to say, you be six feet apart, homeless people, when you come to Street Life Ministries, because they themselves act and behave like a family. And it just was so sort of refreshing to hear Dave and his ministry because he knows those people and by having credibility, street cred for street life folks, he has a way of being able to speak into their life because he has that credibility with them. Like God uses his life experiences to help him share about Jesus with folks. You know, some people may not ever get to that piece of it. They may come to street life just to get the hot meal and to see other people, and that's fine at the end of the day. Dave still feels really called to give people hot meals and to be there, uh, but some people may have a similar kind of experience like with Jesus one day. But Dave keeps those doors open by leaning into his life experiences. Much like the Apostle Paul here with the Jewish community, he creates that common ground. In the end, he doesn't run away from them. He's pulled away from them, but he still goes back. You know he must love that community, even if they are tearing him apart, quite literally. And he wants to create that common ground, and he knows that God will use that 
to share about Jesus. Now, perhaps some of our life stories may not be as dramatic as the Apostle Paul's or may not be as dramatic as Dave Sharon's in our church context, but I have to believe that each and every one of us have life experiences, you know, the kinds of experiences where we have passions, we have skill sets, and there is an intersection there. There's an intersection there between our passions and our skill sets, these kind of important life experiences in which we can create a shared common ground with other people. I mean, this could look like the kind of work that we do, a vocation that we have, being a teacher, being a nurse, being a parent, being a student. There's all sorts of different kinds of ways in which in our life that we have a shared common ground. It could be that we're religious leaders. Uh, Pastor Mary and I have been involved in the last few years in an interfaith cohort of colleagues here. We don't have the same faith perspective, but we share the perspective of being a faith leader. And right there, there's common ground to be able to start with. There are places in your life, and maybe you can just think about that for a moment, and after hearing this sermon, contemplate for yourself. Where are those life experiences that I've had that I can create common ground with people? And God will use that to help me share about Jesus with them, to share about all that God might have in the context of the triune God. Maybe we haven't had a trance-like experience, you know, the same way that the Apostle has, but maybe you have. Maybe you have. Maybe you've had those moments in which God has spoken directly to you and you've had a life-changing experience. You know, and sometimes we have to create credibility with people before we can share about the, the kind of crazy-sounding trance-like experiences we've had. So lean into those intersections of passion, skills, and life experiences and simply invest in those. And a window will open, a door will open so that God can use them to help us share about Jesus. One of the stories that David shared with me at the end of this uh, video, if you want to go watch us in our interview on Facebook, you could just skip to like minute 27 and there's a really kind of tender moment that happens when David and I are talking and David expresses his thankfulness for Trinity, for you, for this congregation, and our partners and our church. And he's just so thankful for us, and he's in tears just talking about how hard that ministry is, but he feels so supported by all the churches in the community here, and especially Trinity. And one of the stories he told was about Mike Garut, and how Mike Garut has been a faithful person that shows up to street church all the time, and he said that Mike always comes with two things. He always brings a Vietnam hat and he brings a dozen hard-boiled eggs or even more hard-boiled eggs. And I just had to think that that is an example of Mike trying to live out creating a shared common ground and a common space with people that he may or may not have much to relate with, but he just believes that God loves them so much just like he loves him, that he's going to put on this Vietnam hat to try to create common ground because there are many veterans that are homeless, that are, have mental health and mental illness things going on, and are poor and living on the street. And Mike wears this hat and brings this food to create common ground and open up the possibility to share about Jesus with people. That may or may not ever transpire, but I just thought that's a beautiful witness. Here is someone who has 
created a common ground. Friends, today, contemplate for yourself. In this strange world we're living in, this bizarre world we're living in right now, things are just so bizarre and strange, but know that God uses you, us, our shared life experiences to help us share about Jesus. Where are those places in your life where passion and skill set intersect and these experiences that we're having, much like the Apostle Paul or David or Mike or the people in this church, there's so many living out their life as in their vocations, in families, in the community, and allow God to use those experiences to help us to share about Jesus. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your scripture, and we give you thanks for the Apostle Paul and his radical conversion experience. And when he was in the temple, he heard the voice of the risen Lord speaking to him. So Lord, may you speak to us today. May you give us a sense of where you're at work in this world and how we can partner with that, how we can create common ground with people who are very perhaps different with us, but to be able to find that common ground, just that small three, five percent that we might share and agree upon to be able to create some credibility with people. And then we can move to some of the things that might feel a bit more scary, move to the harder places, move to trusting in you that you will help us to share about Jesus. Because life is not about ultimately us and what you're doing in our lives. That's a part of it. But a big part of it is then moving out as Jesus told Paul to go to the Gentiles so you will send us to. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.